Good morning, everyone. It's good to be in God's house with you today. <clears throat> Those of you that were here a couple weeks ago recognized our prop here. And um, you may even remember what we talked about. Uh, that was the Holy Spirit. And we looked in particularly in the Old Testament at what the Spirit, where we see the Spirit acting and working and through some of the prophecies up towards the New Testament. And today we get to move into the New Testament, the church age, and see how the, the Spirit has worked and is working. But the reason for the globe is because in Genesis 1, verse 2, we're told that in the creation, when everything was formless and void and dark, that... The Spirit of God moved upon the face of the waters, and God said, and God created. And we know from the New Testament that Jesus was part of that creation. He was the Word, and the Word created. So the Trinity is very involved there in the first couple verses of Scripture. And this world that we mostly recognize and you students probably have our location pinpointed, if you can see it. Let's see. Yeah, we're over here. If you look, you'll see the Chesapeake Bay. That's what I always cue off of. So that's a pretty big world, a really big world. And the lesson for us this morning, in a nutshell, is that a spirit that's big enough to hover and brood and flutter, all are, those are meanings of the word there in the Hebrew, over a world that large is big enough to do good things for me and you. And he's small enough to nestle inside our hearts and to do good things there. <clears throat> so you got the lesson already. <clears throat> There's a lot to think about as we look at the Spirit and as we look at the Trinity in general. And a lot of the things I say, you could say about God the Father or God the Son, and it blends together. But remember, they are three distinct persons that make up the Trinity, but they always love each other. They're unified in their goals and plans and their dedication to carry out the plans. So we're not about lifting the spirit up out of his position, but to recognize the, the actions that he has done and to recognize those in our lives as well. The spirit never calls attention to himself. He is always self-effacing. He keeps himself out of the spotlight, uh, but he shines his light on God the Father and on Jesus especially. And that's how he seems to be the happiest. But as we look at what he's done through history, uh, that certainly will give us an appreciation for him and for that Savior and God the Father that he lifts up. <clears throat> and it's personal for each of us. It's a personal thing when we talk about the Spirit because he hovers over us, he flutters close by, and if we're born of the Spirit, he enters in. 
and he broods over our poor decisions and he warmly affirms our good ones, our better ones. He comforts the sorrowing. He energizes the weak. He helps us speak when we are speechless. He connects us as our advocate with the Father and the Son. He's our personal trainer in fruit bearing, our unifier in relationships, and so much more. He's something special to each of you, and I'm thinking a lot of you could uh, testify about things that he has helped you with. So several weeks ago, we looked at the Old Testament, the creation story, the spirit brooding over the world, and especially I'm thinking he was grieved when sin entered and the fall happened. And as we move forward and redemption's plan starts to unfold, we see prophet after prophet who are foretelling the coming of the Messiah and his ministry, and it often says, The Holy Spirit spoke through them. And it talked about a coming Messiah who would be filled with the Spirit and anointed with the Spirit and would move in the power of the Spirit. And that's, of course, Jesus. So as we start into the New Testament and we see the plan of redemption unfolding, the incarnation happening, you would expect the Holy Spirit to be very involved, and you'd be right. Uh, Just in the book of Luke, uh, first couple of chapters, I just went through there verse by verse and picked out a number of places we see the Holy Spirit mentioned. So in Luke 1, verse 15, uh, we're told that John, who was, this is John the Baptist, who was Christ's forerunner, who would prepare the way, he would be filled with the Spirit from the womb early on. The Holy Spirit, we're told in Luke 135, was the agent of Christ's conception. Luke 141 tells us that Elizabeth, John's mother, was filled with the Holy Spirit when she gave that blessing on Mary. And in Luke chapter 1, verse 67, John's dad, Zechariah, was filled with the Holy Spirit when he prophesied about his son's mission. And then after Jesus was born, I like that story of the temple in Luke 2.25, the Holy Spirit told that senior Saint Simeon that he wouldn't, he wouldn't be dying until he saw the Christ. And the day that he was moved to go to the temple by the Spirit was the day that Jesus was brought in. And he got to see him there. And I'm sure Anna, the prompting she felt to come in that day were the Spirit's leading also. And Jesus was a baby, but he grew, and there was the risky trip to Egypt, and many things could have happened, I'm sure, um, As a human, the whole incarnation looks risky, doesn't it? A baby coming to a fallen race to grow up and survive and be a savior. But I'm sure that the Spirit was watching, guarding, and guiding Christ's life from beginning to end. We're going to move on forward. Um, There's so much material in the New Testament about the Spirit, and I'm, I'm... don't have it all analyzed and looked at, but I'm really blessed with the baptism of Christ. 
That was the water baptism of Christ in the Jordan and also that divine baptism by the Holy Spirit, of the Holy Spirit. And I'm going to look in, all of the Gospels have, have an account of that baptism. We'll look at Matthew chapter 3. So you can turn there if you want to. I'll read those verses. <clears throat> Matthew chapter 3, verses 13 through 17. Of course, 30 years have passed since the baby Jesus uh, came in the, in the stable. He's a man now. He's, it's time for his ministry to start. Uh, I'm sure that Jesus had a, uh, in many senses, a normal childhood. I think some of the Apocrypha would have stories about special things that he did and clay birds he made that flew away and, and things like that. But I would almost wonder if he wasn't a pretty normal boy from Nazareth. But especially here, of course, we know in the temple, his wisdom there in, in discussing with the lawyers and so forth, he was certainly a special child. But something special happened here at his baptism. Uh, and it was the anointing of the Holy Spirit that Though Jesus was divine, he was also a man. He was a human. And he needed that empowering of the Holy Spirit to work the miracles. And we'll talk more about that. But let's read these verses, Matthew 3, 13 through 17. Then cometh Jesus from Galilee to Jordan unto John to be baptized of him. But John forbade him, saying, I have need to be baptized of thee, and comest thou to me? And Jesus answering said unto him, Suffer it to be so now, for thus it becometh us to fulfill all righteousness. Then he suffered him. And Jesus, when he was baptized, went up straightway out of the water, and lo, the heavens were opened unto him. And he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and lighting upon him. And lo, a voice from heaven saying, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. So once again, we have water. We have the Father speaking. We have the Son present. And we have a fluttering spirit. We have a spirit descending like a dove. Interesting, the connection back to Genesis. So John's a practical man. He's, he has a mission. I don't know if Jesus and John were acquainted. I almost think they weren't because we're told in, in the book of John that um, God told John that the sign would be um, the spirit resting on him that's how he would know for sure that Jesus was the one that he was preparing the way for. So Jesus comes to the Jordan. He knows about the gatherings, the preaching for repentance that John is doing. And Jesus comes. It's time. And he comes. Another gospel says it almost sounds like he waited in line till the very last person, the crowds were maybe leaving or at least the, the line to be baptized had passed. And Jesus steps up. And John recognizes him. John understands who is here. 
and he feels smitten. This is not this is way over his job description. Why should he baptize the Savior who was the Messiah? John felt his humanity, felt that he just shouldn't do this. He wasn't qualified. And he says, I really should be baptized by you. He had prophesied that in just back a couple verses in verse 11, that one was coming who'd baptized with the Holy Ghost and with fire. That would be Jesus. John didn't feel qualified. But Jesus said, yes, let's go ahead. It's the right thing to do. Thus it becometh us to fulfill all righteousness. Why was it the right thing to do? I pondered about that. I think uh, that where, where I'm coming out on that is that Jesus, as that God-man, was, was associating with us as humanity and, and identifying with us as humanity, not that he was sinful, not that he needed to repent, but he was a man and he needed baptism. He wanted to show his identifying with the human race. And then he knew, God knew, that this anointing would happen. <clears throat> so when the holy ritual was complete, Jesus strides up out of the water. And at that moment, the pronoun he he saw the heavens opened. Mark says torn open, uh, like ripped apart. And the Spirit of God descending like a dove, like a bird, and lighting on Jesus. And that unmistakable voice from heaven said, this is my Son, my beloved Son. So we see the harmonious working of the Trinity. This marvelous manifestation of God the Father and God the Holy Spirit affirming this God-man Jesus at the beginning of his earthly ministry. Question, though, who is the pronoun indicating when it says he saw the heavens opened? I, I looked through a list of different translations in a parallel uh, study and sometimes it's capitalized, sometimes it's not. Was it John? Was John the he that saw the heavens opened? Or was it Jesus who saw the heavens opened? And I think that it was both of them. And Jesus felt that affirmation of the Father and the anointing of the Spirit. John, as a human had a tremendous opportunity to see this manifestation of the Spirit coming down. Don't know if the crowd saw this all or not. Some places they hear a voice. Um, but for John, what a witness. As a human, what a witness to see this powerful manifestation. I think it helped us reassure him that his ministry of leveling the road, smoothing the road, straightening the curve, the preparation for the Messiah was being fulfilled. He was ready for the Messiah to increase and for himself to decrease. Now John was soon imprisoned with his memories. It wasn't long and he was put away. And 
as often happens to humans, doubts start to creep in. Did he really see what he saw? Was that really the Messiah who was to come? And we know that in Matthew 11, he sent several of his disciples to Jesus to ask him point blank, are you the one that was coming? Or is, should we be looking for another? Jesus sends, sends word back of what is happening by way of his fulfillments of the old prophecies. It's an encouragement to John, a very human messenger and soon to be martyr. Jesus and the Spirit cared about this faithful servant. The prophecy that Jesus sent word back to John about was the one from Joel. I'm sorry, from Isaiah. It's, uh, it's written in Luke 4.18, and that's the one he used that day. He stood up in the synagogue and said, this day, this scripture is fulfilled in your ears. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed. This day is the scripture fulfilled in your ears, Jesus said to his home folks in Nazareth. And it was true. He was giving liberty to those spiritually bound people and demon-possessed people. The blind were seeing. The oppressed ones were set at liberty in their very heart and souls. The good news, the gospel of the kingdom was being preached. Jesus was the one. So comforting to John to hear that days, maybe hours before he was killed. Faithful John. The Spirit cares about people. <clears throat> the Spirit was Jesus' constant companion throughout his ministry from this time forth. And the Spirit empowered him in many ways. Um... In the words of Peter to Cornelius, that sermon, that tongue-tied Peter preached to Cornelius in Acts 10, he said, you yourselves know what has happened throughout Judea, beginning in Galilee with the baptism that John proclaimed, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power, and how Jesus went around doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil because God was with him. And the God, God there was the Spirit. That was the presence that was with him, with Jesus. <clears throat> Jesus spent three years with his disciples, and those were good years. There were tough times. There, was, there were frightening times, but they were good years. And in John 14, there's... There's about three or four chapters there, 14 to 17 or so, that are called the, the last discourse, the final discourse of Jesus to his disciples. And there were some important things that he wanted to tell them yet. Things that they hadn't been ready for, things that he hadn't had time yet to tell them. One of the things he wanted to share with them was the promise of the Spirit who would dwell in them.
Let's turn now to John chapter 14. That's where the verses are that I'll be reading. I think uh, Judas leaving maybe made Jesus feel especially like the moment was coming. They didn't understand, the disciples didn't understand exactly what was going on, but after he left and went out and it was night, Jesus starts to tell his disciples some very important things about the future, the near future. But he told them about heaven in John 14, the first verses. And then he tells them again that he'd be leaving. Let's read verses 16 through 19. And I will pray the Father, and he shall give you another comforter, that he may abide with you forever. Even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it seeth him not, neither knoweth him, but ye know him, for he dwelleth with you and shall be in you. I will not leave you comfortless. I will come to you. Yet a little while, and the world seeth me no more, but ye see me because I live, ye shall live also. We'll stop reading there, though we could just read on because he talks more about the comforter in verse 26. The Holy Ghost, which the Father would send in his name, would teach them. Jesus' physical presence had been a constant for his disciples for the last three years. They still hadn't grasped what was really going to happen. The trauma they would go through, the grief they would bear. But Jesus knew how hard life would be for them. They needed a comforter, a counselor with them always, just like us. The disciples probably wanted things to be just like before. Hiking Judea's trails with Jesus, meals by the lake, the excitement of healings and miracles, the heart-burning teaching, and the presence, the presence of God himself. But Jesus looked beyond these moments to a world of followers on many dusty trails who needed his his spiritual presence, his spiritual power, and his comfort for life. It's better that I go away, he told them in John 16, verse 7. It was hard for them to believe. How could that be better? Jesus knew it was true. And the one task that the Spirit does is bringing things to their remembrance in John, in that chapter 14, verse 26. And I think that was a tremendous blessing for them after the crucifixion when the time, the days were the darkest. Um, The Spirit brought things to their remembrance, remembrance. He was with them, I believe, in a sense. So there was a filling, there was a the pouring out of the day of Pentecost. Which is the next thing we want to look at, and that's in 
course, the second chapter of, uh, of Acts, I believe. Amazing things took place there. The crucifixion was over. Uh, the day of Pentecost is about 50 days after the resurrection. And there was a unified group of disciples who were gathered there in one accord, it says, on the day of Pentecost, in the house, a house. They were gathered together and there was a sound of rushing wind that filled the house. And there were these cloven tongues of fire that appeared on their heads. And miracles of language happened there. Not sure exactly how that all worked, but it was a, an amazing time. Peter correctly explained to the people that were amazed what was going on. He said it's Joel's prophecy. Joel's prophecy is being fulfilled. The Spirit is here. He has come. And he has come to his people. He has come to the church. And he would stay. And what a blessing. He's here today. He's with us. He's with God's people. Peter's courage and his eloquence in that sermon and from there forward were proof that he had the Spirit's aid, is it not? <clears throat> and now the last, last section here I have is the part where he's small enough to live within my heart. His promise of a comforter and a counselor, a paraclete, the Spanish, I believe, says abogado, an advocate. Uh, that's someone who takes our side and, and helps us uh, in times of trouble. <clears throat> it makes a difference in our lives. Romans 8, let's look at that. Romans chapter 8, verses 11 through 16. You'll see what the Spirit, life in the Spirit does for Christians. <clears throat> I'll read those verses. But if the spirit of him that raised up Jesus from the dead dwell in you, he that raised up Christ from the dead shall also quicken your mortal bodies by his spirit that dwelleth in you. Quicken means to make alive, to, to motivate you. Therefore, brethren, we are debtors not to the flesh to live after the flesh. For if ye live after the flesh, ye shall die. But if ye through the Spirit do mortify the deeds of the body, ye shall live. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. For ye have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear, but ye have received the spirit of adoption whereby we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit itself beareth witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. <clears throat> so the Spirit's presence, this large, awesome presence of God himself can live within us. And if it lives within us, then our mortal bodies will be quickened will have spiritual motives, will have spiritual power to live the way we should. To not live after the flesh. But if we're led by the Spirit of God, then it's proof that we are the sons of God. 
and that wonderful promise and assurance that we have a spirit of adoption that reminds us that we are God's, that he is ours, we are his, and that's just an amazing thing to feel that belonging to the Father, isn't it? No identity crisis for a Christian who has the Spirit telling him that you're a son of the Father. Galatians 5, and I'm just picking a few. There's many more places we could look at that talk about the Spirit life. Galatians chapter 5, verses 22 through 25, of course, is the chapter, the verses about the fruit of the Spirit. We have a role in cultivating, but the Spirit is the one that produces and empowers us to live that way. 22 to 25 says... Sorry, I'm in Ephesians. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance, against such there is no law. For they that are Christ have crucified the flesh with the affections and lusts. If we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. walk this way and then over in Ephesians chapter 4 actually some lovely verses there about the way we should live with each other I therefore the prisoner of the Lord beseech you that you walk worthy of the vocation wherewith you are called with all lowliness and meekness with long suffering and forbearing one another in love Endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, even as you are called in one hope of your calling. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is above all and through all and in you all. So the Spirit in our day, in our small worlds and lives, He helps us live the way we should if we let Him. He helps us fill the tasks that are daunting. We may feel like Moses sometimes, but the tasks that we have that we're assigned to, the Spirit helps us to to do those things and to do it while getting along with each other. He whispers direction or conviction to us when our hearts are stilled. And we receive more of the Spirit or the Spirit is able to work in a better way in our lives when we are submitted to him. The more we lay down our own will and flesh and submit ourselves to him, the more filling and the more, the better God can work through us by his spirit. So that's a kind of a quick run through the New Testament of some of what I have seen the Spirit doing, what he, uh, the marvelous things he did through Christ and the prophecies for the church, for us, how we should live. God 
works in our lives in small ways. Um, but the power is there, and I want us to remember that. This, this globe-encompassing presence of God by His Spirit is there. And it's available as we submit ourselves to Him and walk in that. I'd like to tell a, a little story yet that happened in Guatemala in the 80s, early 80s, before we were there. And um, Jose Benito Chotoy, Jeffs would know him, Jose. Jose is a, a minister, been a pastor with MEM for many years. He was a young man then. This was during the time of the Civil War there, and there was a lot of uh, Marxist influence, a lot of guerrilla activity in the mountains where he was from. <clears throat> a lot of violence. This was around the time that John Troyer was killed and most of the missionaries came home. Jose was in the town of Quiche, which is a department head, like the head of a state in Guatemala, and he was kidnapped there by guerrillas, we assume, and he was taken, he was in town for some business and he was grabbed off the street and supposedly was taken to a lawyer's office to sign some papers promising to pay a debt that uh, wasn't, hadn't come due yet. But he was actually taken to a deserted house and as it started to sink in what was going on, he became more and more fearful. Um, there were, the, the church he was from was known as the Church of Widows. There had been many, dozens of men killed in that town. So violence and, and killings were nothing new. He, he knew the way these, these guerrillas acted. So he was taken to this deserted house building in Quiche where he was mistreated badly for his non-resistant stand. He, he felt like the reason for his mistreatment was that he was a leader of the church in San Bartolome, and as a non-resistant person, preacher, he was encouraging his people not to take part in guerrilla activity or, or the civil patrol. Uh, some of those things that would have put them on one side or the other, this conflict that they were in. So the men were, were vile. They were extremely mean to him. And um, Jose thought if he could do something to witness to them, uh, he should try. So he had his moral, his, his bag on his side, and he reached in, pulled out the Bible that he always carried with him, and was looking for a passage that he could use to, to tell them something that would, that would help them understand that he was believing what God said, that he was trying to live for him. And, and one of the guerrillas just smacked it to the floor, and it scattered papers and... Uh, he, he felt badly about that, but he, he was afraid that he would be killed any moment. <clears throat> he knelt there, knelt there in front of those evil men, and though he expected the worst, he began to sing a simple prayer song of trust that we came to love when we were in Guatemala. I won't sing it, don't think I could. <clears throat> but th these are the words, a uh, few Spanish speakers here, I'll translate. Estoy confiando, Señor, en ti. 
Tu eres fiel, Señor, tan fiel a mí. Nunca me has dejado, aunque débil soy, estoy confiando, Señor, en ti. Means I am trusting, Lord, in you. You are faithful, Lord, so faithful to me. You've never left me. Although I'm weak, I am trusting, Lord, in you. I'll read what happened then from the book Under His Wings by Yuri Sharp. <clears throat> As the song filled the room, a powerful wind began to blow until the entire building shook and shuddered. Hailstones pelted the building like a volley of bullets. Jose's captors froze, their cruel glaring eyes widened in terror. And in a flash, the terrorists were out the door. Jose was left alone, kneeling in awe, reverence, and worship. The oppressing sense of evil was gone, and Jose's heart overflowed with wonder in the sweet, comforting presence of the Lord. <clears throat> now, probably few of us have experienced such dramatic manifestations of the Spirit's work, but the power is there. And I think it shows and can show in smaller daily victories in our lives, can't it? Those things, the battles we face can be big ones too. And the, the dangers we face can be just as scary. And the, the fear of the unknown can frighten us. But that spirit is here for us. This awesome power and presence is, is big enough and small enough to live in our hearts and to help us each day. God bless you in that. <clears throat>